3: Identify that in-between spot, uh, you know, that would be a home run for us.
1: It is a 29-year-old mystery that still haunts Bay Village. Who murdered 10-year-old Amy Maholovic? The decades-long search for
4: her killer has drawn national attention. Channel 3's Ray Strickland explains how a new podcast, Chronicling the Crime, is now giving new hope to her family. Ray.
0: Renewed hope for Shorelina. Now, this podcast is called "Who Killed Amy Mahalovic?" Her family, police, the FBI—they still don't have an answer. But tonight, the man who created this podcast is hoping to blow this case wide open.
5: Uh, it doesn't take much to get me teary-eyed. Uh, uh, trying to relive the past, even after 29
0: years—almost 29 years. It's, uh, it's been nearly three decades of heartache for Mark Mahalovic. Tough pill to swallow. 29 long years since his daughter Amy was kidnapped from a Bay Village shopping center and murdered. But now he has new hope the case might still be solved, thanks to a podcast created by independent reporter Bill Huffman. Never giving up
5: hope has to do with the people that are behind the scenes still making things happen.
4: And this has never been a cold case.
0: This has never been a cold case. It's always been an open... Worked case. Huffman created the new podcast, Who Killed Amy Mahalovic?" for very personal reasons. He grew up in Bay Village. He was around Amy's age when she died. Huffman remembers it like it was yesterday.
4: And our teachers, you know, feared every kid being the next Amy.
0: The podcast will chronicle the story from the very beginning. He talks to key players in the case on what's new and how close they are in solving it. His goal,
4: I just wanted to do something that I knew and that I could maybe provide some closure to a story that has basically haunted most of our childhood's lives.
0: And for Amy's father, police he police hopes the right
5: person and over and over is listening. Over just takes that one person. There's no person that can keep this kind of secret
0: for 29 years and not tell somebody that, that uh, they caused this to happen. And police, they're hoping the right person is listening, to. They tell me this is very much still an active case. In fact, Amy's picture can still be seen throughout the Bay Village Police Department. Now, police, they're in favor of this podcast. They say more people, the more people to know about it, the more they can help. Now, if you want to check out this podcast, you can find it on our website at WKYC.com and on our app. Russ?
3: Thank you, Ray.
4: Slow Burn Media Bill Huffman present... This week's episode of Who Killed Amy Maholovic, Episode 2. If this is the first time that you are listening to Who Killed Amy Maholovic, please go back and listen to Episode 1. It will help make this episode make a lot more sense. Previously on Who Killed Amy
6: Maholovic.
2: We immediately took this as a, a, as a missing person report and acted that way.
6: And then you've got two of her classmates who saw Amy, saw a man approach Amy.
5: In the kitchen there, the phone was hanging on the wall in the kitchen. We didn't have, it's not like we had wireless. And uh, Margaret uh, camped right below that uh, phone that night in the kitchen floor, waiting for the phone to ring.
2: They talked about that uh, she had $45 to spend and she was going to go to the mall. So there's some pretty specific details within that conversation that she relayed to her friends. Amy was last seen at the Bay Village Square Shopping Plaza, a popular after-school hangout for kids. She reportedly told classmates it was
6: here that she was to meet a family friend who would take her on a shopping spree.
1: Fifth grader Amy Maholovic went to Bay Village Middle School on Friday wearing green pants, a lavender and green sweatshirt, and carrying a denim and red backpack. Police found Amy's bike locked up at school, but they haven't found Amy
5: is that if it is humanly
6: possible to solve it, it will be solved.
4: On this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, Amy's case goes national, and the search intensifies and reaches an unprecedented level.
1: I'm John Walsh asking for your help.
4: If you've seen this child, Amy Mahalovic, please call 1-800-THE-LOST. There is a reward. Really important stuff. The three children you are looking at, Jacob Wetterling, Amy Maholovic, and Melissa Brannan. All of these children have been abducted. And to this day, they are still missing. Yet, you're going to find that this is a show about hope and about support. About families who refuse to give up the search for the children they love and the American communities that have they monumentally changed. rallied around these families.
6: They spend thousands of hours distributing more than a million and a half Amy
4: posters nationwide. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Who Killed Amy Maholovic? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a slow burn media production. Generally, I run under the moniker of Who Killed, but originally this show was built around the case of one Amy Renee Maholovic, who was abducted on October 27th, 1989, from the Bay Village Square Shopping Plaza in Bay Village, Ohio. Now, this case has obviously been a huge part of my life because I was the same age as her. I have grown to know her family as well as the players involved in the investigation. And with the anniversary, the 31-year anniversary coming up, with the fact that the case still remains unsolved, I figured it, it wouldn't hurt to just kind of take a look back at some of the older episodes that I've done and maybe fine-tune them a little bit and throw in a couple extra things that have occurred over the last two years since the podcast originally aired. Now again, this podcast did create a little bit of a media stir at the beginning and I was appreciative of that and again I will provide some of those clips in this podcast as well. So, If you are familiar with the show and you've listened to episode 2 before, take another listen because there is some new stuff in there, as well as it's been re-edited and definitely a little bit more clean in the world of podcasting. So, I just wanted to let you know that on this week's episode, episode 86, I am releasing episode 2 of the original Who Killed Amy Mahalovic" series with new edits, as well as a couple new media clips inserted as well. So join me again this week as we take a look at the case of who killed Amy Maholovic. But before we get started, I do want to thank Mark Maholovic, James Renner, as well as Chief Mark Spetzel, former Chief Mark Spetzel of the Bay Village Police Department, as well as former FBI Special Agent. Phil Torsney for all their time when they did their interviews with me. Again, these are some really high standing individuals. Phil Torsney is the guy who brought in Whitey Bulger, and if you ask anybody in the FBI community, he is a pit bull and is always one to never give up. So, again, thanks to Phil, Mark, James, Nick, everybody. All everybody involved, Mark, you know, again, so many people to thank, but I appreciate it and appreciate the news coverage. So again, thanks to you guys, and again, enjoy this episode. As dawn turned to morning, there was still no sign of Amy. There had been no contact, no ransom demands, no body, and no evidence about what had happened in the last 18 hours. Lieutenant Richard Wilson, who was supervising the investigation, realized the situation was becoming dire by the hour, so he called in the FBI. What was referred to in 1989 as the Reactive Squad of the Cleveland FBI was called in that Saturday, October 28, 1989, and they immediately went to work. They began investigating the area around the plaza where Amy was last seen, the fields around Holly Hill Farm where Amy took horseback riding lessons, and mounted rangers searched the nearby Huntington Metro Parks that were next to the soccer fields in Cahoon Park. There were now 19 FBI agents and 15 Bay Village police officers on the case. While the search was coming together, the parents were being interviewed and investigators began following up on leads as they came in. Everything changed that Saturday afternoon when one of Amy's classmates came to the Bay Village Police Department and gave a statement to a detective that Amy had mentioned she was going to the plaza to meet a man who had told her he needed her help in picking out a gift for her mom. There may have been a promise of a gift for Amy, but that was not entirely clear to this classmate. These witnesses' statements would have earth-moving consequences and send the investigation into a whole new direction. Plus, this just ramped up the pressure to find Amy because it was very clear that this abduction wasn't random and that Amy had actually been lured to the plaza. The story of the phone caller was also verified by another classmate as well as Amy's brother, Jason, who had overheard Amy talking about it. With the police and the FBI now working together, there was hope that they would be able to trace the phone caller or find any similar cases and eventually find Amy. Although investigators knew the grim reality that was facing them, Nearly 100% of all stranger abductions lead to the child being killed within 24 hours. They searched on, because there was a missing girl, and there was a man out there who had arranged this kidnapping. The local media covered Amy's disappearance as if it was one of their own that had been abducted. The Mahalovics were a quiet family, and were liked by their neighbors. The idea that this family, or any family for that matter, would be thrust into the media spotlight over their missing child is unimaginable. The first two days for the Maholovic family probably seemed like they would never end. When I was meeting with Mark Maholovic, I asked him about that weekend, and what, if anything, he would have done differently.
5: Well, number one, um, the more I think about it, uh, that Monday, uh, I said, Jay, you need to go to school. I said, you might hear something that nobody else, you know, because it definitely was a talk of Bay Village by Monday morning. And maybe I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have forced him to go to school because uh, he was under, uh, uh, even though he didn't show it, he was under stress also and and, uh, uh, shouldn't have done that. With the agony
4: of losing their daughter at the end of October, they would have to go on and have holidays and birthdays without Amy. I asked Chief Spetzel how he recalls the family dealing with Amy's abduction.
2: Well, I know that Margaret, uh, you know, they left her room the way it was. Uh, They had purchased Christmas presents for her. They left them wrapped. How long that went on, you know, I I don't know. But that first year, they certainly did that. That's tough to hear. It's tough to even think about. How do you process that? I I can't imagine. And it goes to us trying to make sure that we provide. You know, Margaret's passed on, but Mark and the rest of the family are still there, and we want to make sure we provide that closure. It's important. While the family was dealing with the emotions of being
4: the victims of a complete mystery, the investigators were conducting door-to-door interviews with neighbors and searching nearby cornfields in Avon Lake, ponds in the surrounding cities, and anywhere they could think this 10-year-old girl could possibly be. Amy wasn't one to lie to her parents. But on this day, Friday, October 27th, 1989, she did just that by telling her mom that she had that tryout for choir group. So this person who spoke with Amy not only convinced her to meet with him, he convinced her to lie to her parents. So this begs the question, how did he do this in such a short amount of time? Why was he so comfortable talking to a 10-year-old girl? And how many times did he actually call her? These questions remain unanswered to this day. While most kids in the Cleveland area were planning their Halloween excursions, the Maholovic family was in mourning, and the investigators were tracking down any leads that came in. The FBI and the Bay Village police were trying to figure out how to keep the public from worrying that there was some madman on the loose, while teachers and parents did their best to hide their true feelings. As the days dragged on and there was no word from Amy, the belief began to seep in that maybe Amy wasn't ever coming home. Thanksgiving was a moment that touched Margaret because she was starting to lose faith that she would ever see Amy again. According to an article published in The Plain Dealer that Thanksgiving, Margaret said she planned on writing her a birthday card if she wasn't home by her birthday, which was December 11th, 1989, and she would have turned 11 years old. She would have also been missing for nearly six weeks. Statistics were beginning to tell the story, and that was that Amy was most likely dead.
6: No, we have no new developments since yesterday. Uh, We conducted searches today. We had four dogs, a helicopter, uh, approximately 40 police officers and uh, various law enforcement officers from uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, We had four of our police fire divers out today checking uh, bodies of water in the area, uh, and we have
4: come up with nothing understandably margaret was all over the place with her emotions I,
3: in
0: fact would
3: like to ask anybody in the cleveland area to light a white candle for amy each day um i think it will help light her way home
1: and if there are
6: candles burning all over she's got to come back she's got to come back
4: six different churches held prayer vigils for amy
5: Oh, well, we're doing this to show amy that we're all hoping for and hoping that she gets returned home safely. And I know we're all sort of scared, you know, and that something like this could really happen in our community.
4: Margaret was a constant presence on the local news. Amy And I don't, I can't ever foresee any of us giving up hope. Um, we firmly believe she's alive. We just need to find her.
2: We need to find her.
4: I spoke with Phil Torsny about the ups and downs of any investigation, including that of Amy's.
3: You know, this case has had ups and downs, downs, but, but, you know, one of the things, at least she told somebody about that phone call. Uh, Otherwise, it's possible, I mean, she would have gone up to that shopping center if she had really kept it a secret, and we wouldn't have known her purpose in going up there. She told associates about the gift and the phone call. And you know we're obviously we've obviously looked at cases which have a similar um, setup because of, of that because Amy told people about that if we hadn't known that and that's why we still look at cases where there's missing girls or girls, young girls that have been the victims of uh, homicide, where it's really unknown what led up to them being abducted, you know, whether it was just somebody who, you know, it was a spur of the moment thing or whether there's a, a planning process like we have here. And and in this case, it's somewhat an, an unusual case in that there was prior planning like, like this. And we've talked to, you know, FBI behavioral people and, and a lot of People about that kind of thing, you know, the planning uh, and the prior contact, and uh, you know, what the thought that this person put into this makes it somewhat different than the normal
5: case where you know a young girl is abducted.
4: Mark Mahalovic still maintains hope that they will one day find the killer. I keep
5: praying that they're going to do it. And, uh, it's not for the lack of effort i'm sure you've realized that it's not from the lack of effort.
4: mark is aware his role has changed over the years
5: with margaret leaving and uh her passing then i'm the only one left this you know i mean this has been going on for uh you know 29 years almost and uh it just didn't end the day that uh you know it's been going on for 29 years And i've been a part of this in the beginning behind the scenes a little bit more in front of the uh, scenes right now One of the cases that I
4: always connected with Amy's was that of Jacob Wetterling and his abduction that occurred only five days prior to Amy's. When I was sitting down with James Renner to discuss Amy's case, I wanted to go through what he thought about Amy and Jacob. I always connect the Jacob Wetterling case and the Amy case only because they occurred five days apart. Oh, sure. And he was 11. Yep. She was 10. I mean, I rode my bike around with my buddies. And this guy yeah. abducts him with his buddies there. Yeah. And then they – have you listened to the In the Dark podcast?
6: No. It's no. a
4: really good one. And okay. Madeline Barron, she hosts it. And it's basically a detailed version of the case. And he ta- she talks to Patty and her husband. And the thing about that case that always – you know once the information came out, he killed him within like an hour of abducting him. Wow! because he freaked out because yeah. he had a police scanner in his car and he started hearing these reports and heard, saw, and then heard a siren or saw a police car and he saw a police car and then just shot him i mean yeah. he did sexually assault him yeah. first but and then it took 27 years to find him but they searched for 27 years and then for him to have already been dead yeah within an hour it's just like at least with amy's case her body has been found
6: yeah so
4: right. you know there's no closure there but it Because her killer hasn't been found, but I don't know. We
6: we don't have to wonder if she's still out there like the women in Cleveland who were just tortured for
4: 10 years. You mentioned the first time that we spoke about a creepy neighbor that may have been involved with Amy's disappearance. Can you expand?
5: Well, there was a... uh a lawyer that lived next door to us, and uh, uh, he was different. I mean, he he always had, every couple months he had a different girl living in with him and uh, uh, never did any maintenance on the house. Uh, In fact, uh, I don't know if this is ever, one night during the investigation, uh, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the FBI, but they actually parked their car in our driveway so they could watch the house next door to us. The FBI parked in your driveway? They spent all night in our driveway watching that house. They were suspicious. It was a possibility because the guy was off-center. Just different. You wouldn't want him as your lawyer, that's for sure.
4: <laughs> hey, did he ever make any, like, comments to your... He oh, he, he already
5: that? said hi to you. How was Jason handling all this? You know, I don't know. Uh, 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 there's things I would do differently about how I handled it with Jason or whatever. And he was sort of left out in the... You know, we asked him about what might have been going on. I don't really know, I, and the chief would probably know, but I don't think they really um, questioned Jason. They might have, well, you know, what a little bit, but they they didn't go too in-depth with him about what might have happened. Margaret became the
4: spokesperson for the family. We love you, Amy. We love you. We support you. We send everything good out of our hearts to you. Send some message find some way to come home. I ask as Amy's mother on this her 11th birthday to give us the gift of that information the best gift that can be given Amy today is her safe return to our family Margaret refused to give up hope
3: you spend 24 hours a day
4: crying your eyes out and saying why, why me, why me why my Amy
6: and I guess there is no answer to that question uh, because this is proven it can happen anywhere, anytime but um, after a while, you still cry. It it also could be that she and you know I think the police are kind of leaning this way, you know. Lately, um, it could be that she suspected maybe it was somebody that she brought into Amy's circle that that did this because uh, you know she was she was going out to bars. She was you know there were there were men that that um, you know were interested in Margaret that that were you know um, in her life and you know so. You know, these men, was it somebody at a bar that she showed a picture to that, that then knew the phone number and address and, you know, so that, that opens, might be in the
4: back of us. I mean, that head opens head. up so many doors. Oh yeah. I mean, okay, let's say you're at a bar, you're five drinks in, well, guess what? You're not going to remember what you talked to or who you talked to. Exactly right. Was she a day drinker? I mean, did she drink during work
6: and stuff? I mean, was she I've like, been told, yes, yeah, that it was, it was, That you bad. Know,
4: now was it? that bad before Amy went missing
6: yeah yeah yeah
4: in the the weeks and months leading up there the local media in Cleveland really wanted this case solved
6: right now time is the enemy as the abductors trail grows colder by the day
4: the community wasn't giving up either Howard Kimball founded the Amy Center
2: we made the uh, greater part of this country or at least uh, at least the eastern the, the eastern half of the United States uh, quite well aware that we had
4: a missing girl named Amy. When I spoke with James Renner, I wanted to know what the environment was like in the community that surrounded Amy.
6: You know, again it goes back to the these number of men who had the means motive and opportunity that were, you know, a number of men admitted, yeah, I was checking out this 11-year-old girl or I'm sorry, 10-year-old. Yeah, she no, she was uh she 10 or, she was 10. She was 10 at the she time. She was
4: 10 when she was abducted. Yeah, she was turned gonna... 11. She would During. have turned 11
6: in December. Yeah. Um, and uh, these creeps were watching her. And in my mind, after all these years, um, and now I've spent, what is it, um, 13 years thinking and researching about this case. Um, I believe that it was the caller who killed her. And in my mind, there's three main suspects. Um, that we can talk about. Um, yeah, we'll you know, get to that. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've kind of got this. Top three. Top three. And I've begun to wonder lately if maybe they knew each other. Because there are ways in which their lives overlap. Um, and as we know with. With. I don't know if you've ever looked much into the Oakland County child abductions, but there are a lot of similarities between what happened in Detroit in the late seventies and what happened to Amy Mahalovic. And we know for a fact that there was a ring of pedophiles in Detroit that were working together um to capture these these children. They were about Amy's age up there. And uh So I'm beginning to wonder if the same thing hadn't happened here, especially given the fact that one of the men involved in Oakland County, Ted Lambergine, uh, after those cases stopped, he moved to Northeast Ohio, and he was living here when Amy was abducted. He was working at the Ford plant. He's in prison now for some of the Oakland County assaults, and they offered him a deal of a reduced sentence if he would talk to them about the Amy Mahalovic case.
1: Dot com and check out noom's first ever cookbook the noom kitchen for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living available to buy now wherever books are sold
4: when talking with james i wanted to know
6: how it was possible for people to keep this a secret if they were close enough to know what happened they're culpable in some way so i don't normally prescribe you know ascribe to um uh, conspiracy theories but for this one i'm beginning to wonder if if we're not dealing with a, a small group of men wow okay
4: all right let's back up yeah, yeah yeah let's go back to was it the week before or was it like did he call her multiple times during the during I mean, was it like a two-week lead up to the sure. time or was it one phone call or multiple
6: i don't think we know for sure but the general consensus is that It was a few days before the abduction that this man called Amy at home when she was home alone after school. So he knew her, he knew she was home alone, knew when to call, and knew what to say. And he might have called uh, only once. He might have called, you know, twice, probably not a lot. But he used that line, you know, hey, I, I work with your mother. She just got a promotion. Why don't you meet me on Friday at the Bay Plaza? And I'll take you to buy a gift for her. And it could be a really nice surprise for your mother. And maybe he knew she was fighting with her mom at the time. Maybe he was that close. Maybe he didn't and just got lucky. But at the time, Amy really just wanted to please her mother. And he used that in order to lure her to go with him.
4: I asked Phil Torsney about the ups and downs of an investigation such as this. You know, peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows. We are in a very good situation at the moment, where as opposed to maybe 15, 20 years ago with technology sort of not where it is today. I mean, do you feel like we're closer to solving the case today in 2018 than we were in 1990?
3: I guess I'll answer that in two parts. I mean, history tells you with these cases and really any criminal activity, the the quicker you can solve it, the quicker you can get the information that leads to an arrest. Uh, the easier it well, the easier it is, and, and evidence is always more open and more available the closer you are date-wise or whatever to the crime scene. So that, it, that makes it difficult thirty years later, but we have or twenty-nine years later, but we have twenty-nine years of investigation moving forward, and there's things that have happened in that twenty-nine years, including forensics and science that have opened up new doors. For a lot of cases that have been recently solved and uh, have the potential to help us solve this case, so it's a you know it is what it is. It's a two-way street. Some things are better, but some things aren't as good because of the passage of time. And uh, you know, it, I know if we if we had all the knowledge we have now in regards to science and, and um, you know just uh, research and criminal behavior and that kind of thing. Uh, if we had that back in 1989, I mean, we'd we'd be in pretty darn good shape here. You know, just phone, just the ability to access uh, phone numbers and phone tracking and that kind of thing, which we had to to a very limited limited extent in '89. But you know, now you can you can check phone calls. You know, you can figure out where a phone call came from pretty quick. The you know uh, the legal means to do that. So. Plus, there's surveillance cameras everywhere. If we had, a, if we had, had a surveillance camera in Bay Square Shopping Center in 1989, we'd be in good shape. But you know what? Uh, they're there now, but they weren't there then, and that, that, hurts us. But it doesn't mean there's not things helping us.
4: With Amy's case receiving such publicity right off the bat, I asked Mark Mahalevich if there were too many leads in the investigation. I mean, do you think that the police, I mean, obviously during that time, any tip is a good, any tip, to take any tip. Was there too many tips?
5: Uh, yes. You don't know which one to, which one, they're all important. So which one is the, which one is the one? And after all this
4: time, tips on a case that touched the hearts of many in this community and investigators
5: are still coming in.
4: And in fact, the Bay Village Police Chief says just
1: this morning he got four leads and there is hardly one week that goes by that there isn't a tip that's called in. And they are once again asking if you have any information to call either the Bay Village Police Department
4: or the FBI. I wanted to know from Chief Spetzel how these two eyewitnesses were able to give an age description of 25 to 35, being the fact that they were only 10 years old.
2: He could have been any age, really. I mean, we, we have a range of about 25 to 35, roughly, for this individual. Okay. Uh, differing uh, clothing descriptions, different hair descriptions, one with glasses, one without glasses. I think what we can safely say is that it's a white male. Mm-hmm of uh, average build, uh, who um, is probably in that 25 to 35 year age, that seemed to be fairly consistent. That's what we really can tell. Beyond that, it becomes very difficult to get into any kind of specifics as to who that person is or what they look like. The fact that this abductor
4: used Margaret as the conduit to the meeting that led to Amy's abduction makes me believe that this abductor may actually hail from mark's background and not margaret's
6: i'd say anybody that was one person away from the mihalovics should have been looked at 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 one point and if they haven't they should be looked at um now i i think you're asking you know what did they ever look at anybody that worked with mark mihalovic and the answer to that is definitely yes so you know in the in the famous picture of Amy that we've all seen, she's wearing these horse head earrings, these turquoise horse head earrings. Those were actually given to her by um, a man who had worked with Mark Mihaljevic at one point. And he had, if I'm getting this story right, I believe he had a daughter about the same age and they were both into horseback riding. So he got, I think he got a couple sets of these and he gave, I think he gave his daughter one and then they gave Amy the other set. So, you know, when they when the police heard about this, of Conspicuous course... Conspicuous story if
4: uh, you end up with those horse earrings. Yeah, right, right. I mean, just saying, oh, yeah, of course I bought
6: two pairs. So they definitely looked into him. But I've talked to him on the phone, and he's married. He seems like a really decent guy. Uh, Mark doesn't have anything bad to say about him. So, um, you know, I don't think he's a serious suspect. But that just shows you that they were very much taking a look at you know, Mark's coworkers as well as Margaret's.
4: I still can't get over the fact that Amy was lured to the plaza with one or more phone calls, knowing that she had never lied to her family, and the fact that she actually went out of her way to do so on that day, October 27, 1989. It just makes me think that this person had more to do with the Maholovic family than anyone may have realized up until this point. It's just bizarre in, in <clears> the <throat> sense that, well, one, how he was able to get her to actually go along with it. Mm-hmm. And then, two, the fact that he had tried it before with other girls.
6: Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that becomes, in my mind, the most important clue is he, before Amy's abduction, he was calling – um, a number of other girls that were Amy's age, kind of looked this, similar in, in appearance. And uh, the, these other girls were from North Olmsted, which is one township south of, of Bay Village. So uh, the key to finding out the identity of Amy's killer is figuring out how the girls in North Olmsted intersected with Amy in Bay Village, because they must share some sort of habit you know uh, of of going someplace and because this this man whoever he was had to have known all these girls and had to have had a way to get their phone numbers so uh there's a couple ways in which they do overlap uh one of the ways is the Lake Erie um uh nature center which is in Bay Village right the little nature center um all these girls had visited the nature center in the weeks leading up to Amy's abduction and at the time there's a log book that the kids could go in and sign their name number and address in order to get on the mailing list and some of these girls did that so was he connected with the nature center and did he see these girls walk in and get their numbers that way another way in there which they're connected is by one of these top suspects who the police didn't even know about until after my book came out and uh I, I fought to put a specific name in the book, and the editor didn't want me to put it in because he's like, this name only appears once. Do we really need it? I'm like, you never know what's important, so let's get it in there. And it was the name of Amy's riding instructor at Holly Hill Farms, um, which is where she took horseback riding lessons. And she had a very specific kind of odd last name, and... After the book came out, one of the girls from North Olmstead reached out to me, one of these girls who got the call from Amy's killer, and she said, that name of Amy's writing instructor, I had a male math teacher in Rocky, uh, in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, in North Olmsted, a male math teacher with the same last name. I wonder if they're related. And I looked into it, and sure enough, the girl who got the call in North Olmsted, her math teacher had the same last name as Amy's writing instructor They were brother and sister. So he would have, you know, the thought is he had visited the stables where his sister worked and run into Amy there.
4: When I was with Chief Spetzel, I wanted to know if they looked into Mark's background as much as they did into Margaret's. But the fact that Margaret was
2: used as the conduit to this abduction.
4: Exactly the same. Yeah,
2: yeah. you you dig a lot into those initial uh, immediate relationships with the parents. Because... You know, in this case, we don't think the parents obviously had anything to do with this. Uh, we don't think actually any, any relative had anything to do with this. But it's the it's the acquaintances of Mark and Margaret or the second removed acquaintances or, you know, a relative who met somebody. You know, it, it sometimes in these cases, it's a thread. And, you know, you got to find that thread and pull on it. And um, so they, they did a pretty good job back in the day of looking at all those, expanding that out. Doesn't mean that, you know... 30 years later, we won't go back and say, you know, we talked to that person, but we didn't get this part of it. Now we have this piece and we can pull them in. That's very possible. Uh, It's just at the time, you don't have enough to do it. And, you know, I always say, too, that you can't eliminate— we've looked at literally over 10,000 people as suspects. I mean, literally, if not more. I I lost track. But what I can tell you is only one person did the crime. And what else I can tell you is of those 10,000-plus people— there's very few that you can definitively, 100% rule out. And those are the ones that have an ironclad alibi. When I met with Mr. Mihaljevic, I really wanted
4: to know what it was like to endure those 106 days.
5: I had in my mind long before then that she wasn't going to be found alive. That was just, I just...
4: How long into the case did you start to feel that way?
5: Well, um, probably about two months before... They had a: uh, Didn't you
2: say birthday?
5: They had a birthday party for her at the old middle school in Bay, and uh, I just realized that that was, that was the night that she wasn't coming back alive. That's terrible. had hoped out, I had held hope all that time until that night.: When
4: I met with Chief Spetzel, I asked him what he would say to the killer if he had the chance.
5: Hey, come on in and see
2: me. Come on and let's talk about it. You know here's, here's the thing. I believe that the person who did this didn't necessarily set up this meeting to kill Amy. That's not the way this happens. What I would tell you, what I believe personally, this is my personal opinion, is the person that did this probably set this up because of an attraction to Amy, a sexual attraction to Amy. But what inevitably happens with these is obviously they don't go the way their minds had planned that to go. And all of a sudden it goes awry and they end up killing the child. That's typically how these things go. And I don't think this person's any different. I really believe the person that did this didn't take her with the plan on killing her. I believe that. So I would love to sit down with this person and and talk with them, find out what was your motivation, what were you thinking, how did this happen, you know, um, tell me the story. People want to know. It's about time to unburden yourself and let everybody know what happened. Coming up next week on Who Killed? Amy Mihaljevic. The search for Amy has lasted for four months.
0: This picture of the Bay Village girl has been placed in every public place possible with the hope that someone, somewhere, would have information leading to her whereabouts.
2: Uh, I can only say that uh, there were stab wounds to the left side of the neck.
5: The body of a young female uh, found in Ashton County early Thursday uh, morning has been identified as uh, that of Eamon Mahalovic.
0: A female jogger was jogging this morning at approximately 7.30 and uh, she spotted something in the field and went off the field and checked and it was a
5: body.
1: The halls were noticeably quieter, a sign the students have learned a disturbing lesson about life and the tragedy it sometimes holds. Being kidnapped and
4: she, she's with God now so it'll be fine. Just sick. We'll just find anything. him and um, arrest him.
2: Basically picked up anything that was not natural that would have been there anyway. So all that was collected, and you don't know why. You know, you're just hoping someday it'll it'll, it'll pay a, a part in it. And
5: uh, we all met back at the house there in Linford.
2: If you are interested in supporting
4: independent journalism such as this podcast, you can click on the donate button in the bottom left on Who Killed Amy if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, that will also help support the show and help get Amy's story the coverage it deserves. You can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 if you have any new information regarding Amy's case. The FBI is offering a reward up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Maholovic. Anyone with information concerning the murder of Amy Maholovic should contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. You may also contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Maholovic. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we take a deep dive into the discovery of Amy's body.
5: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Come play with us.